Hello and welcome to the Lost Air Podcast. I'm Garen. I'm here with Paul. Good morning, evening, uh, night, whenever you're listening to this. Yes, yeah, good night. It could be anytime. It good could night. literally be anytime. That was a great podcast. Good night. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be great. I'd be into that and get to bed for an hour. Um, uh, yeah, we're a little bit. We could clearly show people we're so into this. No, we are. We are. We're just, we're, both of us are tired and in pain because it's freezing again. Yeah. We had a week of decent weather. We actually saw the sky. I saw the colour blue for the first time in like six months. A uh, small section, a small hole in the uh, clouds was on fire and it was, yeah. heat was emanating yeah. for, from it. Yeah. And I, I know I remember that from like childhood. Exactly, yeah. All the yeah, dorks actually, had their shorts on. It was great. Yeah. I still had Speaking like of, a jacket and all on. But the dork had their shorts on. Things from your childhood. Should you tell them what we are doing today? Yes. Today we are doing a part two or a volume two. Um, of a podcast I'm trying I'm trying to not to say uh, and I keep doing it all the time because my brain we're Irish is, yeah, we're I know I can't every, every third word that's uh. awful I just sound like a simple uh, me forget words uh. but we're going to do a volume 2 of childhood songs so we've done our first childhood songs over a year ago and as you know we allow ourselves to do a volume 2 once a year has elapsed so today we're going to do childhood songs Volume two, which is stuff that we were mad into when we were kids, or stuff that we remember having an emotional impact of some yeah. description um, in our lives. And I went, I'm looking at mine compared to yours, and I went mad young with mine. And I think I, you I went, see, I went, I went mad young with the last one. So this is yeah. more of my sort of teenage years. Yeah, more I think this so. is early teens and, for you. I can see. And I try to remember. Yeah, these are usually around, this is around uh, late 80s, yes. uh, early 90s. So what I did was I tried to pick songs that made some sort of difference in to my childhood, yeah. uh, how I look at music going on forward. And I, I picked out these songs as ones that, for whatever reason, I know changed things for me in yes. music. Yeah. For one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Mine definitely didn't. Mine are all garbage. And I haven't heard them since I was a kid. Um, right. Until this week. Because I've known my entire life that like I was mad into these songs. Like I, I almost have a song, I have a story about each one of these songs in some uh, in some way, shape, or form. But I haven't listened to them until this week, and I'm, we're going to listen to uh, a few little bits of some of these songs. Pretty much going to play a bit from the start until the end of the chorus for everybody. Yeah. And I'd say most people are going to know the, the vast majority of, of these songs. So let, let's get straight into it anyway. Who was your first, first choice for Childhood Songs Volume 2? Uh, my first one is the one that got me into synth music in the first place. So mm. I thought this was a good, uh, like... I mean, I'm sure in other podcasts I've said two or three songs that were the one that got me. But I know it's this one. I do know it's this one. And it's uh, Fade to Great by Visage. Killer. Which came out in 1980, a year before I was born. Shit, that makes me old. And this song, a year older than that. So this song, uh, the first time I heard it, I remember it just went, that's one of my favourite songs of all time. This song has aged more gracefully than you or me. Yeah, it's it's aged more gracefully than a lot of songs from (laughs) 1980 as well. Exactly, it's great. Fair. So, this song was written by Bill, Cur- Bill Curry, Chris Payne, and Major, who were um, in Ultravox and in Gary Newman's band. And this song was actually written during sound checks for Gary Newman's uh, performances, like, because they were in his band. So, this was actually done there. And Major was the first one to go, you know, um, let's make the melody of the, the lyrics like this. And actually, I'll just write the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Steve, Steve Strange sang them. Um, but I think that's mad that that was written in a sound check for yeah. like it's it's not unlike a lot of things to happen but uh, they went on 
to do Ultravox as well, separately mm. as well. Uh, Midgar was in about eight bands. He was. Or something like that. He was. Uh, I used to get confused it. because people would be talking about him in regards to so many different bands. I'm like, that. there can't be more yeah. than one person called Midgar. Like, I just can't. I know, yeah. It's mad because, like, I was, well, people going, Midgar, I knew Midgar from Midgar on his own for because mm. it was his name. And he was always, like, on soundtracks and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I was like, I figured out he was in Ultravox. And then I figured out he was in this band, Visage, and I was like, Jesus, that's the eighties. Just do, do as much as you can. Like, all the, there's money in music back then. Yeah. You might as well. You might as well. Exactly. So, um, this was sung, like I said, by uh, Steve Strange, who passed away in Egypt a few years ago. Uh, his coffin was actually carried by Boy George and the Spando Ballet Brothers, Martin and Gary Kemp. Um, every time I hear this song, it feels like the first time I heard it. I know that sounds that's feels so good. like the first time. Yeah. Actually, the intro, which doesn't reappear at all. Sounds like Radiohead. Yeah, we were listening to this a few minutes ago, and just the first yeah. like ten seconds of it just sounds like later day, in, or, yeah, or so, latter from, day uh, Radiohead. Something from In Rainbows. Yeah, or something it's like crazy. That. It really does. Yeah, should we so play a bit of it now so people get some of that Radiohead juice into them? And I just want to hear it because I always want to hear. And it's song. a killer. We're going to play a bit yeah. of Fade the Grey Boy Visage. I think that song might be too. It might be too good. Too good. You know why sometimes you go, nah, too good. Stop. There's so much going on. I don't know. I don't know why it would be bad for a song to be too good. But that's. I never get bored of that. And I remember. I think the first time I possibly heard it was on some sort of TV ad compilation, Mm. where like they were advertising it, and I heard a clip of that, and I went, "What's that?" And then I had to wait. I think I might have had to ask my sister or something like that to get it from here. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but I remember going, I need to know. It's that so was good. What I'd, I'd say I was about nine or ten then. I'd say maybe before. And that's like 11 years after it came out. Yeah. I just didn't hear. I probably heard Maybe I heard. I would have heard it on the radio as a kid growing up, but my consciousness wasn't like fully awake then to take in, like, I need to get more of that. It was only when I heard a clip on that thing, I was like, oh my God, what was that? <laughs> yeah. And it was actually Spando Valley was on that uh, compilation as well. It was that, mm-hmm. uh, to cut a long story short, which is also a banger. But that's that's important song to me from my childhood. Big as time. one that made me go, I love synth music so much. It's robotic, but it's also like 
See, when, when no. I was a kid, I, I don't think I... I didn't differentiate between, like, synth and... Because there was no rock music in my life. Not really. Not the way I'd, I'd consider rock music now. Yeah. Um, like, there was definitely rock bands in the rounds, but I wasn't listening to, like, ACDC or Led Zeppelin. or that, that, They were, like, oh. outsider bands. It was whatever was on the radio, whatever whatever was on top of the pops or, you know, played on... when Like, I remember when MTV launched and it was real hard to get and everybody had to get the cable link boxes to get MTV and stuff like that. But there was none of this stuff really on MTV either. It was mostly American stuff. So you were dependent yeah. on, like, um, that... What was it? It was a B Beatbox, the two of them beatbox, whatever it was that used to be on, um, yeah, used to be on, on, on television on, of a Sunday, and they'd have music videos. And but they, even at that age, we weren't starting. The, the sponge hadn't grown. No, no, we weren't really, seeking music by any means. Really it was just seeking it. It was just we thrown thought it at was you. Just there, yeah, yeah. thrown at you, and you take what you're given. Exactly. Until you get a little bit older in your teens, and you go, oh, I get control over my head jukebox exactly but once you get your first say Walkman or even portable radio you remember it was like, yeah. a, like headphones you put batteries in yeah. and had a little aerial and you thought you were the shit walking around with dialing in trying to find radio stations and stuff oh, yeah, like that I am my know? own DJ exactly well, look, that was my first one that was uh, Faith Grape with his right. your first childhood song. my uh, one of my earliest memories of a song that I was just absolutely mental for was uh, Dizzy with Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff right like, this song, for some reason, I couldn't tell you why, because, like, afterwards, I remember going out, and I think I bought the Wonder Stuff album um, that they just released after this, and I just How wasn't was into it. It, yeah, it was art. Yeah, it was yeah. whatever. You know, it was fine. Um, it was fine. I think, like, Vic Reeves was such a big um, character in my youth. Um, he I was always on telly. He was funny, and then Reeves and Mortimer came out, and that was brilliant kind of a little bit later and it was so that's it was my, my first comedy as that and Alan Partridge like, it's just yeah gave me my, gave me my comedy like, I think so yeah because it was so like out, out, out there and irreverent and it was just odd and I didn't know that like to me the comedy was like you know Lenny Henry or something like that you know what I mean it was just yeah. a, a bit of stand up on TV or whatever and um, to, to see people doing absolutely batshit mad comedy was a big deal and then the song came out and I, I was all over the song I couldn't get enough of it it was fast it was it, it, it was kind of it was super poppy even though it had guitars in it but there was like violins and there was all sorts of mad stuff going on and again it's, it's a bit flower, flower power it's very flower power yeah. I mean the wonder stuff are weird they're from a place called Stourbridge in the West Midlands which is like the black what they call the black country and there was a couple of bands I think like um Ned's Atomic Dustbin and stuff like that were, were from kind of the same area and like the Wonder Stuff were a big enough band but they went through a lot of men they had 17 members in total but it was pretty much the whole thing was was a vehicle for the, the, the singer a guy called Miles Hunt who wrote 99% of the music like he's the only constant really in the band uh, his uncle was actually in ELO and Wizard really? as well yeah um so yeah, when this combination of of Reeves, uh, of Vic Reeves, and the Wonder Stuff came together, and in the video, Bob Mortimer was in Did it they, as well. Was he was he was he in the on the whole album? No, it was just as far as I remember. For some reason in my head, I remember this being a charity single. You I know, was going like, to say, I think it was a charity or, or at least I, some sort of promo yeah, single, like Red Nose Day or something like that. But I couldn't find anything about it being a charity single online. 
Right. So it could have been just a little collaboration because Vic Reeves is not the greatest singer in the world. Now I think Vic Reeves might have done some more music after this, but like his voice isn't great uh, by oh, any oh, means. Oh. Like he's not even really singing and he's just kind of doing tuneful talk and it, it, it's not it's not great. Like uh, this is obviously a cover. Kar- karaoke. It's karaoke. He pretty much karaoke. This is a cover um, from a 1969 song by a guy called Tommy Rowe um, who had like one or two kind of little minor bubblegum pop hits you know like the, the original musicians on this would have been uh, the Wrecking Crew as well uh, but mm. this version is from 1991 so I was, I was 10 I was 10 when this came out it was a number one hit in I think the, the UK it might have been top top 10 in, in, in Ireland but it was it was a big hit when it happened and um, it was produced by a guy called Mick Glossop who turned out to be I only found this out recently as well he was like one of the big producers of the post-punk scene so he would have been one of the guys involved with Public Image Limited and the Roots and the Skids then the Waterboys and then he kind of moved on to Frank Zappa and he'd done John Lee Hooker and Van Morrison and I think he might have done some stuff with Elton John as well but he was involved in the production of this it was an A side and a B side I think the B side was a cover as well uh, let's play a, co- a, a little bit of this song you, 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 listen this is aimed at kind of people who aren't into music and me at 10 years of age I just wanted to bounce around the gaff and uh, this kind of this fulfilled That's one of the four songs, one of the four songs that I remember knowing all the lyrics <laughs> to as a kid, you know. Um, I was obsessed with uh, Reeves and Mort- the smell of Reeves and Mortimer, yeah. two, season one and two, I think it's only two seasons, and it is one of just my favourite type of humour, it's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. it definitely uh, kind of opened up the road to a lot of people to do that kind of stuff later on, mm. you know. Th- mm. There was a big lull in that uh, kind of weirdo humour for years, and then... There was a big weirdo humor of it. People think it's just random stuff thrown. It's not. It's it's incredibly so, complex. Are funny. Like if you say, like if you change the the fucking the the vegetable in the joke, if you make a turnip, it's funnier than carrot. Yeah. And I don't know why, but yeah. when you're using surreal humor, some combinations are just funnier than others. And that's, they got it right every time. I don't yeah, know they what they had. A, very good. They had a song about. Um, don't leave loose muesli on the edge of a cliff when you're having your picnic because like I know a guy who the sole song called Loose Muesli yeah like it's just I don't know why as a kid I found that incredible 
It was like, brilliant. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, anyway, mm. that was my first one. That was Dizzy with uh, Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff. What a combination. <laughs> um, who was your next one? My next one was hard. I didn't want this exact song, but it's, I had to pick it because uh, I wanted a different song, but it's hard. But he's not really on Spotify, Bar for some mm. reason, this one live album. And it's uh, Garth Brooks. And the song is the Thunder Rolls. Mm. Uh, I would have picked, I might have picked one or two different ones, but this is the this is the one that was the closest available to me that made sense. Mm. And the reason I'm picking Garth Brooks is uh, around the mid '90s, my sisters and everyone, to be fair, got into everyone. Garth Brooks. The and entire world that we the knew. idea the idea of Garth Brooks to me was just. I did not get it as a kid. I was like, what is all doing? Mm. There was never country music in my house. We never even, like my mom listened to a few country songs actually, like the Tammy Wynette kind of stuff, but mm. um, maybe like, that kind of, I think that kind of stuff, we're not talking show bands, we're talking like a bit of American. Actual, yeah. Go, I mean, there was a country and Western scene here, but it wasn't American yeah, country. Yeah. No, it wasn't American country. So I was so confused as to why my two teenage sisters who had been listening to The Cure a few years ago or stuff were mad into Garth Brooks and mm. so I was playing PlayStation all through 1995 because that's it came out in 1994 and all I did was play me combos had like an hour a day combo training in Tekken 2 mm. let's play some Twisted Metal and all I could hear from the other room was Garth Brooks this, mm. that double album that fucking double live album non-stop I'm pretty sure that was 95 around then anyway and I just couldn't understand what the fucking story was. Yeah. But honestly, after about three months, you start warming to some songs. Of course songs. you do. Because he's not really country. He is. Like, he's very country. But he, he sort of transcends it. And I hate saying that, but, but it's true. He does a little bit. And this Thunder Rolls was more of a rock song than anything. Absolutely. So give it a, give it a bit of a blend there. This is the one he yeah. got in trouble with the video for, because it shows uh, domestic abuse on, on MTV. And people were like, we can't show that. I'm like, he was like, what? Why can't we show it? This shit happens. Anyway, right. here's a, the it thunder rolls, or, or as my mother would call it, the thunder road. <laughs> Three thirty in the morning, not a soul in sight. The city's looking like a ghost town. A summer night Rain ramps on the windshield There's a storm moving in He's heading back from somewhere That he never should have been The thunder road The thunder road Across the window, house across the town. She's pacing by the telephone in her faded flannel gown, asking for a miracle and hoping she's not arrived. Rigging it's the weather that's kept him out all night. Thunder road. Thunder Road Thunder Road And the lightning strike Their love goes cold On the sleepless night As the storm blows on I'm up in control Deep in her heart 
like that's closer to Leonard Skinner or something than it is. That's closer to Bon Jovi. Yeah, than that's straight like up bon country. Fucking you know? Bon Jovi. Like, like Southern so this, rock meets fucking. I don't yeah. know. So this was the first ever time in my life as a child where I changed my mind about something I'd heard and right. made my mind, made my mind up about. Hmm. And I remember it being a shock to me, a big shock that I could be wrong about something as a child. <laughs> Like, like I could be wrong about music. It's the slaggings I gave this fucker. Ah, oh, You better. But like I, I, I talked about it before. On, 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 stupid <laughs> ten <laughs> gallon a half. Exactly. Like, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I talked on on the podcast before about when this like craze of of Garth Brooks and Co arrived. Like in my school, instead of doing PE, they made us do lion dancing. Like Yo, that was God, a thing. It, it was only for like a couple of weeks until everybody was like absolutely not like even lads who hate sports were like can I please yeah. kick a ball around like <laughs> but like they were making us line they were bringing in people actually sorry that's a lie they weren't bringing in people because the teachers were taking line dancing classes so they thought they'd pay it forward and show the kids like so the teachers were like well we love line dancing so we'll show the kids how to line dance and be like PE and everyone was like getting sick in their arm outs. Like it was absolutely. No, but again, cruel. same thing. My my ma was mad into him. Mad. I'm pretty into sure there's, there's laws against there's laws against doing stuff like that to kids now, making <laughs> line dance. But Scream. I remember thinking, like, holy shit, that is a thing that has just happened. I now yeah. like some Garth Brooks songs. Yeah. And and I I do, I have to say I have a lot of respect for him. You think he's the number one selling male artist of all time, if I'm not mistaken. Sanity. I think he beats Elvis. I really do. I think he is ahead of Elvis. But um, he's very yeah, uh, very protective of his music and stuff like that as well, though. He is. Like, the fact, it's not on Spotify. Bar this thing, and Croker. Uh, remember, what was he wanted five nights in Croker in Crow Park here in Dublin? Yeah, if you watch the documentary, you'll see that like he was given three and still said yeah. no, it's this or nothing. Thinking he was play- the bluff was was uh, called. Yeah, or sorry, his. Like, I guess I don't know whose bluff it really was at mm. the end of the day, but it didn't happen. But five yeah, nights, no, eighty thousand people a night, and he was like, no, three isn't enough. Like, that's insane. But the, the initial thing was three. They got three, and then they went yeah. for five, and they said no to five. So I think the, <laughs> what happened was the guy or whoever said yeah to five, thinking, oh, we got three, we'll get five. Then the residents Association said no, we just said no. Yeah. Three or nothing. And then he was like, five or nothing. And they were like, three or nothing. And uh, fucking, what do you call it? Summer, Summer Hill, not Summer Hill, fucking like. Uh, well, it's Summer Hill on one end and, and, and Drumcondra on the other, yeah. Clonliffe Road won uh, whole Clonliffe won yeah. the fucking battle against Scarbox. Oh. So so that's that's just an example of the first time I can I was trying to think what was the first time I ever thought like yeah. Jesus, that something changed my mind and I realised I was wrong it was something and it has to be that Garbrooks and especially the song The Night I Called the Old Man Now any yeah. song that starts telling a full story, a story from start yeah. to finish yeah. I was like hooked in while yeah. I was there playing fucking Crazy Ivan or whatever anyway <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Garth Brooks, the Thunder Rolls. Another one I really like off is uh, back catalogue. Who's your next one? My next one is Do the Bartman by The Simpsons. Yeah, I was full blown obsessed, full blown obsessed. Like this is the first ever piece of music I lost. Do you really remember? Everyone can remember the first album they bought. Can you remember the first album that you left in the mate's cafe and never found it again? No, that's this. And it's a terrible, terrible, terrible album. Oh, it's absolute garbage. <laughs> um, so this is off. I didn't even know this was off an album until like two years later. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, when Do The Bartman came out, it was just this... Uh, they played on the radio for like a week before you could see the music video on TV. And down the, you saw the music video and it's so long. Like, it's five and a half minutes long or something. 
um, once you watch the music video. It's five minutes, 11 seconds, just the song, which is way too long for this song. That's right. Because it's garbage, right? Uh, but then you watch the oh, music video. That's decent. Huh? Oh, do you mean the, what, the rest of the stuff? The, the stuff that's not the song is garbage. Oh, no, this song is garbage because it's too long. Like, it's fine for right. what it is. It's just a stupid novelty song, which is, which is why I liked it in the first place. First of all, I was obsessed with The Simpsons. And I was a young boy. Therefore, I was obvious, ob- obviously obsessed with Bart Simpson and wearing Bart Simpson shorts and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I wanted to be in my life was Bart Simpson. Like, yeah. Um, like everyone else my age at this at the, at that time, like this is nineteen ninety. I am nine years of age now. Chances are, um, <laughs> chances are we didn't even get it in uh, a year or something. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a very good chance it took ages to kind of leak out over here. But yeah, uh, so it's sang by Nancy Cartwright, who does the voice of Bart Simpson, uh, back and vocals by Michael Jackson on the sly. He wrote it, didn't he? he wrote um, most, most of the song. There seems to be. That's right, we did. We talked about this before. Yeah, so the, there's a big row. It. Yeah, there's a big row about it. There's a guy called um, Brian Lorraine, and Brian Lorraine was like a recording artist for years, and has put out albums and stuff like that. But ended up just becoming a songwriter, and um, he was hired to write a couple of songs for this Michael. Uh, for sorry, for the Simpsons album. And yeah. Michael Jackson had gotten co- in contact with um, Mac Raining saying, like, I'm a massive, massive Simpsons fan and I want to write a song for the Simpsons album. So Mac Raining's like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so it turns out that Michael Jackson had just signed, uh, like, at the time, the biggest recording contract deal in the history of music, uh, $890 million with Sony Records. Oh my god! And that's that's then. That's yeah. Like, like if that was now, eighties, nineties, yeah, nineteen ninety, yeah, exactly. So, um, and this Simpsons album is going to come out on Geffen. So Sony were like, "You are absolutely not going to be on that Geffen album. I don't care. You are not doing it." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, no worries." So apparently, on the sly, um, MJ MJ went over, and he done backing vocals on this song now. Matt Groening gave an interview years later saying, saying like, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I was there. Like, Michael Jackson wrote this song. Like, Michael Jackson wrote this song. Like, um, Brian Lorraine helped him. Like, he was there and performed yeah. a lot of stuff on it. But, like, realistically, the majority Look, of this is Michael yeah. Jackson. And, like, Brian Lorraine, he didn't write uh, Thriller, the album. And Michael <laughs> Jackson did. So, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, th- that's where it gets interesting because later on, uh, Lorraine and Michael Jackson become real good buddies like real good buddies and Lorraine is actually on he's on I think Dangerous and he's on um, he mm. plays on he plays on a bunch of Michael Jackson albums and like does back and vocals and stuff like that like they, they seem to have worked pretty well together but there's <laughs> there's dissent on the camp because Brian Lorraine is saying like listen Michael Jackson wrote zero of that song zero of it like he sang on it because he's me mate yeah. Um, but that's my song, 100%. Like, I tell you if Michael Jackson wrote it, because I, pr- I might get more clout out of it, saying that I co-wrote a song with Michael Jackson. But I wrote that song, and I helped Michael with whatever, a couple of albums afterwards, and Michael sang on it. It, it seems to be a bit of a clusterfuck where nobody can really decide who yeah. was actually involved in And you know what? It doesn't matter, because it's shy. Like, you know what I mean? I like it. I like Do you really like the Bartman? Like, it takes yeah, about a minute and a half to get going. It's No, when it, no the, the, bit, <coughs> the Bartman bit is good. I, like, no, the rapping is horrendous. Yeah. Actually, only the melody is good of the chorus. The, the chorus so, yeah. is fine, if you can. Like, that's yeah. fine. Um, but the rest of it is just, 
it's rotten. Apparently, this was never released officially as a single in the USA. Um, only in Europe. It's really? just the album went out in the States, Sing the Blues, and that was it. And uh, they didn't really do, uh, they didn't do this as a single off it. Um, it only happened in, in uh, UK, Ireland and parts of Europe. I'm going to play a bit of it. I've jumped in about 10 seconds because there's this horrendous loop at the start of it. Um, it's just, no, it's this crappy hip-hop loop that they oh, use. Right. That is obviously That's part of the music video or something. It's yeah, it's real yeah. bad. Um, here's a bit of the Bartman. Just see if, yeah, it's just this for ages. I've skipped a good bit of it, thank God. This is obviously Bart Simpson walking around the video. Oh, it's still happening. Super. Skip ahead. No, it should come out now. We're nearly at 30 seconds. But it has to do it. Come on, Bartman. Oh, we're going to jump. <laughs> Here we go. That'll do. 40 seconds in and no one's singing yet. Like, those are Michael Jackson's keyboards. 100%. How brutal is this? This is just to annoy people. Michael Jackson wrote that. Um, you, you can tell, because I tell you why, because I went off and listened to your man Brian Lawrence stuff uh, separately yesterday, just to see what it was like, and it's, well, it's not a thousand million miles off that. It's fairly standard two keyboard drum machine stuff, like, you know, I um, that doesn't have any sort of hookage like that, like, but at all. <laughs> um, it's, that's definitely, you can smell of Michael Jackson all over that, like. It stinks a wacko jacko. Um, Yeah, I was obsessed with this song. This is is the first proper row I ever had with my sister. Um, I had like a a Sanyo tape player recorder thing. And it was my pride and joy. I think I got it for me like communion or something like that. And it was a double tape deck. Like a long kind of rectangle. Not a boombox, but like it was was grand. (coughs) And you fed like eight of those bleeding D batteries into it to get it to last for like 20 oh, minutes. Jesus, yeah. I was mad the amount of batteries you had to put in. But the first time I saw that, I got one of them as a kid or saw someone with one and I'm like, those batteries are not cheap. No, at all. Putting at eight of them into the thing and it puts yeah. some weight on the thing as well. Absolutely. Not so, not so portable anymore. <laughs> exactly. Now, this was about a year before I got my first CD player. Um, I got a portable CD player later, which is again another Sanyo kind of big rectangle that a CD player on top of it. So this one is just had a double tape deck in the front of it, um, but you could record off the radio. And Two FM had said that they were going to play the Bartman tonight at seven o'clock. And I was in my grandmother's house with my sister, and I think my ma was there as well. And I was after buying uh, a blank tape 
in like the pound shop or something like that and I was ready I just wanted to I wanted to have the Bartman on on feed because my ma wouldn't buy it for me right she wouldn't she wouldn't buy me tapes or music like that mm. and um so I was like, right, I'm going to wait till 7 o'clock tonight and I'm going to record off the radio, do my best to kind of not get the DJ talking, you know, the usual thing. Yeah. But I didn't know, because there's a microphone built into it so you could record whatever, voice notes or whatever. I didn't know that when you pressed, like, play and record on the tape player when the radio was on, that it didn't activate the microphone. In my head, the microphone was on once you pressed record. Yeah. So I had told everybody in the entire house, I was like, listen, you just need to shut the fuck up for five minutes. At seven o'clock, yeah, they're, they're literally. Like, oh, is it three minutes? And you're like, actually, it's five. Don't ask me why. It's just exactly. Five. Just, just shut up for a few minutes till I record the song, and you can go all about your shouting and fucking screaming and running around, whatever you just want to do. You can have a great time doing it afterwards. But I want five minutes at seven o'clock of absolute silence. So everyone's like, "All right, Grant." Now, bear in mind, I'm fucking what am I? Ten. My sister is seven, something like that, and uh, I'm sitting in the kitchen. And I'm getting ready, and the DJ's like, okay, we told you it was going to happen, it's coming up at 7 o'clock now, we're going to play, yeah. you know, Bart Simpson with the part, man. And I hit playing record, and I'm sitting there, and I'm vibrating, I'm dancing a bit on the table, but trying to be quiet while I record the part, man. And out of nowhere, my sister bursts into the kitchen, screaming, crying or something, because she fell down the stairs or something. And she's and my ma then starts screaming at my sister to shut up, and I lost me marbles and I picked up the, the stereo and I belted my sister across the head with it and that was the, that was the first that was the first proper row I ever had my sister she turned on me like a feral cat as well she's fucking scrubbed me on the face and everything till was rolling around the floor and uh, over the Bartman so uh, I think <laughs> after that I, I think a day after that my dad went into golden discs or dolphin discs or something like that and bought me the tape of the the, the Simpsons uh, sing the blues. Not, he didn't even buy me the album. He bought me the single because they released it on cassette. You know what? Like better off. The album is the album's yeah. dreadful. Yeah, it's poisonous. So yeah, that's um, that is uh, <clears throat> that's that's my next one. Um, oh, sorry, that's that's my second. That's one. your last one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I get confused there. Who was your next one? My next one is. Uh, do you know how I like uh, one-off songs from an artist? Like, mm. are songs that don't really represent... I think it's one of the first podcasts we ever did. Songs don't really mm. represent artists. I'm fascinated by these one weird songs. Like, stuff like... Um, Crazy Horses by uh, The Osmonds is a banger. Mm. But it doesn't sound like... It's a more rock... You know, I think I'm thinking more in terms of rare rock songs from artists. Yeah. And this is a song that encapsulates that completely. And it's one of the first ones I remember ever... But I didn't know at the time it was this till I grew up. Mm. I was too young to realise that this was one of these songs that I was fascinated by. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones as well. Like, there's a few songs, but like, like David Essex Rock On is a mad, gritty, stripper, pole dancer, like rock song. But mm. David Essex's other stuff isn't like that. He's singing about Christmas half the oh, time. Yeah, yeah. So this is a song by Gene Pitney called Animal Crackers and Cellophane Boxes. Now, I mm. grew up listening to Gene Pitney's like, happy... 60s love songs yeah but I remember someone in my family got a greatest hits and it was one of the cheaper ones that has mad shit on it yeah you know those ones that they sell for like the greatest hits but not the oh sorry no they call it the best of they can't really call it greatest hits because that's more more subjective if you call it the best of whatever label that put out a lot of weird stuff they done early in their career they make they comp and yeah the best of yeah and I honestly think that my family used to skip this song when it came on because it is a very rare psychedelic 
garage rock song mm. from Gene, Gene Pitney. And I have loved it from the first time I heard it. And I, I just couldn't believe that it was sort of the same dude. Mm. So give it a blend there. And really? just, gave, just gave me my love eventually when I found out of like digging deeper for a, a little rare moment from an artist that's All not right. quite in fitting with the rest of their stuff. All right, here we go. One day, what did I see? Animal crackers can be company. Sunday, with nothing to do, I opened up a box and I went to the zoo. Elephants, kangaroos, monkeys in a cage, all live together in the same old place. Green beer, zebra, canary on a swing. When everybody's happy, everybody sings. One day, with nothing to do, I opened up a box and I went to the zoo. Cellophane zoo, antelope, buffalo, tiger, scene tame. Will resemble one another, though the ways are not the same. Koala bear is very near, and camels have a hump. But why does this old up and come without a trunk? One day with nothing to do, I opened up a box and I went to the zoo. Sunday, what did I do? I learned how to live in a cellophane zoo. I'm mad into that. That's never, so good. I've never heard that before, and I'm mad into that. It's only a and minute lyric- and a half long. That's yeah, bananas. And, and lyrically, it's fucking brilliant. Like lyrically, it's so good, and it it could be maybe about dr- being drugs. It's definitely drugs. about drugs. Let's just get yeah, that. Yeah, you know, eating, like, but it's so fucking good, and I listen to that song all the time. Going like, and I love Gene Pitney because it's not even, like technically it's not my favorite Gene Pitney songs because something goes to hold my heart with Mark Almond is yeah, better because it's one of the best thing ever happened. But this yeah. is honestly one of those. Absolutely crazy songs, and I honestly think my family used to skip this. I'm like, no, go back to that. It's probably That's too deadly. much. Like, it's just it, it is a lot. You know, what I, I think mean? I remember reading about. This. I couldn't find the information because whatever site I was reading was like one of those really old 1993 websites. Because I remember reading about this years ago, about ten years ago. I was trying to read about this. A geocity site. Yeah, geocities <laughs> are angel fire. Yeah, and apparently the record label were like, "This is garbage. Stick on a B side at at most." And he was a uh, like instantly swapped away from this music completely into more like Brownery stuff or whatever yeah I think he might have done 24 hours from Tulsa as well as Neil that's really cool there's uh, a weird uh, weird break effect on one of the trumpets yeah kind of a wah thing on the that's, trumpet that's, that's is, he, is, he not, is he not doing that thing the, the, the pa the, with the, the, the what do they call it trumpet cup or something like that they call it trumpet cup yeah, yeah. yeah something like anyway, that anyway this is one example of the earliest song I can think of. Now, now I have to be honest with you. I didn't know at the time this was, oh, a rare Gene Whitney song. But later on, when I realized that one of my favorite songs was completely out of context with the rest of his stuff. That's when this you is know. Kind of, You're a baller kid, man. <laughs> baller kid. I knew my shit. Yeah. Anyway, I picked this one out of his whole back catalog. Three CDs, my man that had of him. Anyway, that's my, that's my example. That's great. That's a killer one. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Uh, right, my next one is... Oh God, it's so bad. Um, uh, okay, it's you can't touch this by MC Hammer, right? Yeah. This was this was so big. Like people don't understand how big MC Hammer was um, back in the day. Like this is nineteen ninety. A lot of my songs are like kind of eighty nine to ninety one because yeah. they're they're the years where it was. Uh, well, mine was sixty six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I um, listened to it sixty six. I was I was minus. Uh, fucking 20 something exactly <laughs> and uh, 
when this came out, it was just oh, it was so big. It was so big. It was there was yeah, no was escaping it. You know what? It went too big too quick to the point that's, where it went. That's what happened. Like I don't really, enjoy, I didn't enjoy it after the first week because my oh one hundred percent and I was like, wow, yeah. that song got burnt out for me too big quick. time. And it also it's too long. It's four and a half minutes long, and it's it's one hundred percent designed to be that long to take up um, airtime on the radio. Like it's just it, it's that hooky <laughs> and that catchy that they want to hold onto the radio for as long as possible because a, a lot of singles back then would have been in the two three minute you know snip it out get it out and and, and shift the units like um yeah but this is just a little bit longer uh so stanley stanley kirk burrell is his real name and he's he's one of the he's not their original but he's he's the kind of known as the innovator of like pop rap that was his whole thing um he started off a couple of years before this in like a christian hip-hop group he was always mad into god like yeah um so his biggest years would have been 88 and 98 would have been when he was in his biggest kind of his biggest phase but to be honest with you like by 1992 he was pretty much gone like he was still releasing singles up till the late 90s but no one really cared like after after this you've got too legit to quit and that's a bell it really there's one or two other ones but and um, put it this way by 1996 he had declared bankruptcy right like which is insane that's one of the biggest living, songs if you keep living that uh you can't touch this life but don't um it's so so weird like but he had he done an awful lot of stuff like by by the late nineties he was a preacher on television. He, he you know I'm not preacher. gonna lie to you right the whole time I've been thinking about Ice Ice Baby. Uh yeah that's yeah that, no like like as in I thought that's what we were talking about. I my brain's gone to shy today. Well, I honestly thought till this moment you know you know preachers like no nah, that was empty. Oh god uh, oh yeah um they actually there's, like, there's a lot of does does your brain ever read something and never correct itself? <laughs> You There's an awful ten, lot ten minutes, of them. Um, ten minutes into a podcast talking about the wrong fucking song. That if you ran if you ran both of those guys' stories side by side, there's an awful <laughs> lot of tick boxes um, between them. To be to be honest with you, so he became <laughs> I was a preacher. About this, I was about to say, you're like not one of my favorite white rappers. That would have given it away. I think <laughs> sickener. <laughs> <laughs> he had his own cartoon. He had Hammerman. Um, he had a Saturday morning cartoon. They only done thirteen episodes of it, and it's about. I remember it being on TV. It's about him. His name is Stanley. And uh, who who uh, finds a magical pair of runners or sneakers as they call them, and he puts them on. He becomes Hammerman and fights crime and stuff like that. Oh, you know? I remember Jesus, that just unlocked a dusty <laughs> old bit nostalgic exactly, yeah. memory. So that Ooh, was on that TV. Was weird. Yeah, um, that doesn't push anything else old out of my head. Then he got a reality <laughs> TV show called Hammer Time in the late 2000s like 2009 he got his own reality TV show really? yeah I think he might have funded it himself though so um, I'm not giving him the kudos for that uh, he here's a weird one for you here's a, here's a weird one for you he signed to Death Row Records in 1995 that's mad how 95? batch is that 1995 he has songs with like Tupac in them like, holy shit yeah MC Hammer has songs with Tupac he was signed to Death Row Records um, it was towards the end of Death Row Records, but yeah, he was signed yeah, yeah. Death Row Records. Um, he ended up having to give Rick James a writing credit on the song because it's obviously it's the the main hook is the intro to Super Freak, and yeah. he was sued. Uh, we talked about this before with, with Public Enemy that there was no real way of getting away with no way of paying for samples back then. But if the person you had sampled pushed the issue, 
then it would have to be settled in court. You know what I mean? That type of thing. So the way they settled it in court was Rick James said, well, give me a tour of the royalties because there's another guy involved as well. It was a three-way split. And it, it meant, meant millions for everybody, you know. Uh, millions upon millions. Uh, it actually, you got so far into that one, <coughs> I still thought we were talking about uh, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> you said MC Hammer and you can't touch this about 100 times. Here's another uh, weird one. Here's another strange one, right? This song wasn't released as a single. I thought it was. No, it was later. But yeah, right. what they done, they done this crafty, crafty manoeuvre that I'm surprised I haven't seen it replicated more, was that they put the song out to the radio stations and made music videos and all this kind of stuff, but never released a CD, a tape single, or a 7-inch single till way later. So if you wanted to hear the song, you had to buy the full album. Ah, uh, that's very clever. They did that a lot in America. They never did yep. it in England. Was singles yep so England England England. so listen let's just do it let's play a little bit of uh, You Can't Touch This play full four minutes of it (laughs) oh yeah let's do that You Can't Touch This You Can't Touch This You Can't Touch This You Can't Touch This My, 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 my music hits me so hard makes me say Um, oh, it's a banger. So uh, much better than a Vanilla Ice or something. So, when this song came out, I, 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 I used to, my parents, if it came on the radio, my parents would make me dance, right? The, yeah. So, I'm nine years of age, to make me dance. And I used to do this thing with my legs. And all the neighbours would come round to look at me dancing and they'd call me El Spaghetti Legs. So, <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, there's El Spaghetti Legs. I'd be walking down the road and they'd be like, do your spaghetti legs. And I'd have to like wiggle. I don't know how I'd done it. But I do like spaghetti legs dancing. That was all learned off You Can't Touch This. But uh, <laughs> if you remember, everybody, this is when like, the, he was wearing the, the baggy pants that had like the crotch in them at the knee and stuff like that. It was, yeah. it was, if you've ever Aladdin seen... Pants. Yeah, like Aladdin pants. If you've ever seen the movie CB4, you'll see they take the piss out of him. Something fierce. They create a character that does the same thing. That's like a dancing <laughs> rapper. Like, you know. Now he got... MC Hammer was, was like... He was hated by real hip hop artists. Like they despised yeah. him. He, even though they knew he was talented. Like he'd been around for years before this. And like this um Hammer on Hortum, which is this album, was like a second big label um a second big label album. This album actually in this song was recorded in the back of a tour bus. He took the money from his first album and had uh, bought a tour bus and converted like the back water of it into a portable recording studio. And while he was touring around gigging off the back of the first album he was recording this album with this song so um, on the fly costing him next to nothing to do it like he's very even for a bloke who who, uh, declared bankruptcy he's very very smart um, very smart with money Um, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he just 
you figured out a way of like declare bankruptcy. They can't well, like, that's what I was going to say. A lot of very people that are very smart with money declare bankruptcy yeah. as a tactic. Oh yeah, just like a, almost like a tax break, a way to get away from people and recoup. You know, like how many we can't times, get him, we can't get them for the next year or whatever. Exactly. How many times like Fifty Cent declared bankruptcy and then he's on Instagram having showers and money. You know that type of thing. <laughs> um, but that was a you can't touch me by MC Hammer. I was obsessed with it, like full blown obsessed with it um, for a long, long, long time um, as a kid. Um, that again, one of the big entry points into into hip hop for me. Um, yeah. Even though it was. Like, listen, it's rap music. Like, I, we didn't know what hip hop was. We knew what, what kind of rap music was. Uh, hip hop kind of came later when we realized that like, hip hop is the movement and rap is like the musical form of it. But uh, like, I remember when this was big. Like, you'd be walking in Grafton Street with like your your mother, or your grandmother, or whatever it was, and there'd be people like um, break dancing on cardboard and stuff like that. You know, and you thought this is the coolest fucking thing you've ever seen in your yeah. entire life. It was around the time that good graffiti started popping up as well. Um, as opposed to just whatever, just into some sticks, Ireland. you know. Uh, there was there was good graffiti in Ireland, but you, it was um, it was rarely in the city because the carpet were mad for it. You'd have to go into um, any of the, the kind of suburbs. You start seeing like good little bits and pieces popping up um, around this time, around the kind of early to to, to mid nineties. The, the, yeah. the hip hop scene in Ireland definitely exploded. Anyway, who is your next one? My next one is Rubber Ball by Bobby V. Uh, this song is very interesting. This song is a song that I heard on the radio when I was about six, I think. Mm. No, it's between six and eight, I think. Let's say seven. <laughs> Just to be safe. <laughs> Let's split the difference. And I remember thinking, um, this song came on the radio and I was absolutely fascinated by it. I loved, just loved the way it sounded. And when it was over, I was like, Ma, can I hear that again? And she went, uh, that's on the radio. I went, oh, can, when are they going to play it again? She's like, that's a 60s song that's probably not going to be played for a, a while it'll be a and while like, and I was like shit like I I want to hear that now hmm. and that I think might have been the moment I went I need to be able to own songs so I can yes. just like that that might have been around 7 I think I was like I'd love to be able to just listen to stuff whenever but I, I was I was years away from having a walk around then yeah, yeah I think honestly I was about 12 or 13 before I got one. And I was probably my sister's. I think it was my sister's old one as well. Yeah. And she got a new one. But I remember thinking this was mad that I'd heard songs on the radio before that I knew I was going to hear again. Mm. But when I heard that I might not hear this again, like that, like that's probably on Rolling Collins or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 80s. So the chance to hearing 60 songs. Yeah, you're going to hear them, but you yeah. might not hear that Rubber Ball song. And no. that wasn't even that play, playing the radio that much. Give it a blast there so people, yeah. I think people will know it, but I absolutely love this song. Right, Rubber Ball by Bobby V. Rubber Ball, I come bouncing back to you. Rubber Ball, I come bouncing back to you. I'm like a rubber ball, baby, that's all that I am to you. Just a rubber ball, cause you think you can be true to two. You bounce my heart around. Like a rubber ball, I can bounce back to you. Rubber ball, I can bounce back to you. If you stretch my love till it's thin enough to tear. Anywhere and like a rubber 
Bobby V doing his best Buddy Holly impression. That's a little banger. Do you know who wrote that song? Buddy Holly. No, Gene Pitney. <laughs> Gene, Pitney wrote, Gene, Pitney. Gene Pitney wrote this song, and uh, no, obviously uh, didn't didn't really want it. Yeah, um, that's kind of mad. That's that was just written uh, by Gene Pitney when he was using his mother's maiden name, oh, yeah. uh, Orlowski. Um, Gene Pitney had to go through a lot of changes to, to the record company. You can't play that mad psych rock song and you can't be called uh, Gene Orlowski whatever like yeah, that yeah we need an American but, um, name yeah I honestly I never now I never asked him how to buy this song um, I just probably forgot about it by the end of the day to be perfectly mm. honest with you but I remember just thinking when am I going to hear that again and then yeah. I heard it on a TV show that was an ad and I think it was played enough on the ad to keep me happy me to not ask. Yeah, I think at that stage I didn't understand about asking. Like, can I have? Can I have a song and an album? Yeah. It wasn't really a thing. Honestly, I think like the first album I ever bought or owned was given to me was was bad mm. by Michael Jackson, which is like eighty six or something like that. Mm. Um, I remember that song. Been, right? I remember that being a big big deal. Like, yeah, uh, I think that might. I think yeah, you're right. I think that had a bit of a resurgence in the late eighties. That song because I, I remember that being played an awful lot. It could it must have been used on a commercial or something like that, and then it got it got to kind of re up yeah. and played it on radio again. That used to happen a good bit, but uh, it's another one of those songs. Like two and a half minutes, two minutes twenty seconds. That's like, what you that's want. Yeah, and eighty percent of that is the chorus. He spends five seconds on a verse before he jumps back into the chorus. That's I what everybody ju- wants. The way he jumps back in is so good, though. Yeah. Like the resolution of the end of the bar when he yeah. puts the lump of chorus back into the end of it is fucking delicious. It's so Absolutely good. Delicious. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, very, very good. I meant to say Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, not uh, 24 Hours and Tulsa earlier on in mm. my head. As soon as I went, uh, it's not That's good. not right. Um, so yeah, that was honestly one of the times I remember I was like, I can't just have uh, whenever I want. And <laughs> uh, I now still collect music and so do you, obviously like that. Mm. We, we, we both, well, we both did massively in the late 80s, 90s. Mm. Up to the two thousand mid two thousands, I think was probably our highest collection collecting. Anyway, Definitely. for me, anyway, it was like when you were waiting, you knew the release date of CDs uh, of bands albums. Yeah. Not just go, not just remembering. Oh yeah, I forgot the that came, came out, didn't it? No, you knew it was a new album next Friday. I have a new album out on Spotify today. Like it's mad. You'd be waiting weeks. Yeah, and then you yeah. go in and the record shop or like the HMV wouldn't have it. Out. You'd be like, where is it? Oh yeah, sorry, it's in a box here. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they tell you the other branch has it and you have to run across town to get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that it's mad anyway, yeah. So that that song stuck out to me as, as one of the rare times, the earliest times I went, <gasps> I have been captured <laughs> by a piece of music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that. That's Bobby V. That's not a song I listen to a lot anymore. Do you know what you no. I think it's good. If it's on, but, it's great. But I'm not going to look for it. Another song that was very like this for me was... Uh, that fucking witch doctor. Ooh, ee, ooh, uh, uh. I think I love oh, yeah. quirky, weird songs. Yeah, kid, yeah, which is a surprise to absolutely nobody. <laughs> after, like, after, yeah, the Reeves and Mortimer, yeah, yeah. I just, love, I just always love anything a bit different because I get maybe I fucking get bored too quickly with or a hundred people are telling me something's deadly. That's yeah, that happens. Just yeah, put yeah. on the back burner for me. Yeah. Like, I'm like you've yeah. taken the sheen off something. I guess I just love finding something. So, oh yeah, there's nothing better than yeah. finding it yourself. Yeah. Um, so that was Bobby V 
with uh, Rubber Ball, which I still think is a great song, but I wouldn't mm. know. Like, it's not, it's not uh, Animal Crackers. Mm. What's your next one? My next one, my next one, it was my first introduction to merchandising by a band. Right. Yeah. This was, this was, this was big. Uh, this is When Will I Be Famous by Bross. So I was mad into this as a kid. Yeah. Like mad into there it. There was something about Bross. I don't know what it was. They were cool as fuck. They were cool as fuck. Like, and it's the fact that it was like, whatever. T- were they twins or were they just brothers? I think they're twins, are they? They are I, twins, yeah. Yeah, Luke and Mark. Yeah, and then they had the ward, the tour bloke, uh, Craig Logan, poor bastard, who was a bass player. Um, he didn't last very long. He lasted yeah. a couple of years. Um, he actually left due to illness. He couldn't walk anymore. Um, Holy and shit. he uh, he had to be helped on the stage and off stage and after a while he was like I just can't do this anymore Fair, off his go he used to do it oh, um, <coughs> no, it didn't well it did suck but later on he went to um, he became the head of RCA Records so don't worry wow. about him he married I oh, know he didn't marry sorry he went out with um, he ended up going out with Kim Appleby from Mel and Kim and wrote all her songs for her so Jesus, yeah he right. went on to have a he, he went on to actually have a bigger career in music than the two brothers from Pross. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. He done he done much better in, in, the, in the long run. But when this came out, it was a big deal. I remember uh, my mother bought me a pair of... If you remember, the, the, one of their big deals was the dungarees. They used to wear dungarees. Oh, right. Because I remember like, a different thing altogether. I remember people... The caps. No, there was the... Their, the Bross's look initially... Was the dungarees, yeah, but then it moved sharply onto an iconic look of the red denim jacket, red leather jacket, yes, and light blue jeans and a yeah. white t shirt, yeah. And I remember that a, seeing that was a big deal, yeah. I remember seeing young ones wearing that around oh, yeah. Heart, Hartstown in the 80s, going, yeah. That's amazing! I remember yeah. distinctly, and like, yeah. I got slagged, I was called Bross as a kid for a while yeah. because I loved this song so much, and my mates thought that was gas because it was gay, like, <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal, was it? <laughs> Every lot I know that, loves them. Yeah, How the fuck That brothers like relax, really. Yeah, relax. <laughs> under 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 always kissing girl. You know, as a kid, if you don't know what to say, someone call it gay. Yeah, that's the way it was as a kid. One hundred percent. You didn't awesome. even know. God help yeah. you. Didn't even know. It's just this, this was just, this was this was too good for me to care. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, and I it was amazing. It. But when. Uh, uh, they, so they started off with this, these dungarees and then they, like I said they moved on to the leather jackets and the, the kind of ble- uh, stonewashed bright blue yeah. jeans and stuff like that but I had a pair of dungarees that had the Bross logo if you remember it was the two lads kind of doing X hands and X legs and they were touching hands or something like that and um, it was like two X's next to each other but they had heads and that was their logo and I had oh yeah it was shy. Yeah, it was gar- garbage but I had their logo stitched into like the back pocket of it so they were like brass jeans. So I was obsessed. And I'd be running around these brass dungarees. These denim dungarees. And after a while I didn't want the dungarees anymore. So I think my ma cut the top end of them off and put a belt loop on them or something. So I could wear them as jeans. So yeah. then I was just, I could wear them as jeans. And then after a while, same thing as you. Like all my pals or whatever like, don't bleed brass. Listen to the fucking brass. And I was like, oh, I can't listen to brass anymore. So I'm not allowed. But again, this song was a big deal for me. For some reason this song reminds me of Wicklow. From us going on like uh, trips down to Wicklow for the weekend and stuff, and staying with aunts and uncles down there, and running around in them dungarees, and because it was, because <laughs> it wasn't like the 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 hot spot that Dublin was. Like six months after everybody in Dublin had given up um, 
I had given up on Bross. They were still mad into it in Wicklow. So I was back amongst yeah, the people. Yeah, the love for Bross died off real quick because they didn't. They had two <laughs> big songs. Yeah, they were they were gone real early. They um they knocked on the head in 1992. Like, so that's quite early for an 80s act. Yeah, so it was 86 to 92, and that was it. Done. They, I, all I really remember is this, and I owe you nothing. Yeah, I owe you nothing. But the the um, last thing is, even as a kid, I thought the lyrics, like the, the title of this song, was bad. It's a bad title. I couldn't really get into it that much, but I love the song. Mm. And it's almost like, well, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you oh, write a song, absolutely. Like, when will I be famous? And you make it this good. Yeah. You're going to get famous. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because um, Macos went on to become a solo artist. Well, he tried to, to be a solo artist. He'd done his best. Um, he ended up doing yeah. a Las Vegas residency. That's right. He was kind of more, a crooner. He turned into like a Frank yeah. Sinatra type of singer. Yeah, Michael Bublé style kind of singer is what, what he was kind of aiming for. Um, Luke went on to become an actor and done pretty well. Like He was the main baddie in Blade 2, the main baddie in Hellboy 2. Deadly, yeah. Both of them. Yeah, he was great in both of them. He was really, really good um, in both of them. He'd he done a bunch of stuff and then he ended up doing a lot of garbage. He'd done... Um, well, do you remember the two of them did a... Uh, a reality TV show not yeah. so long ago, and it, they're they're two thick fuckers. They're saps. They, I tell you how how sappy they are, right? God help them. Is that they gave an interview there last year saying that they're going to re-record the first Bros album in a contemporary style? Why? Because just you know what I mean. Fuck off. Why? Like straight up, fuck off. Um, let's play a bit of when will we be? When will I be famous? When will we be yeah. famous, Helmet? Um, let's play uh, a bit of maybe maybe another hundred episodes, maybe. Yeah, hopefully, fingers when crossed. Will Strangely, a more musical and harder hitting song than most of the other pop stuff that was down the rounds. Like that was more, that was more to something like Frankie Goes to Hollywood than it does than to like New Kids in the Block or something. It's quite Michael Jacksony as well. It's very Michael Jacksony. There's a weird, there's a weird kind of key change there at the end. What where we just finished it, where he kind of like yeah, drops semi octave before he jumps out. Yeah. It's mad weird. It's also I never realised before, but the lead up to the chorus is quite weak. Mm. It's like he ran out of lyrics and was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, when? Well, yeah. oh, she never noticed that before. Because like, yeah. the music's building up nicely to it. He should have fucking. He could have came in harder. Yeah. The, the drum sound and all is fucking. Like, it, it, there's a lot of stuff going on in that song. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah. That weird. That synth sounds bananas. I think that's the only uh, the chorus melody. But leading up to it. I can see what it would want to do with more contemporary. Because that music did not age well. It's very no. based on the technology at the time. And I oh, know I, I still love it. And I still fucking make music like that. For fuck's sake. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear yeah. what they did with fucking strings and everything, probably. I don't know. Who knows? Because you got one guy kind of yeah. to be a crooner and one is an action movie star. So, I don't know. Like ELO meets Limp Bizkit. I, don't know, like, who, who I, reckon, I know is what it'll sound like. It'll sound like modern day Take That. Maybe. Where they use real instruments and it's a bit more, oh, we're songwriters. I've seen oh, Gary, Bar- oh, I, Gary Barlow. I was on Spotify the other day looking through the new releases and Gary Barlow released an album called, um, I think it's called like Music Made by People or something like that. And I assume it's like there's no like programming or synthesizers in it, that it's all acoustic instruments and stuff like yeah, that. Do you know what I love that? Like he's He's naming his album the idea of what bands have been doing since the... The, like, yeah, since before electronic music. Yeah, like it's cool. Do you know what? I'm gonna do an album, but get this right, lads. Get this fucking ready. Sit down because it's gonna blow your mind. We're gonna play all the instruments with musicians. Yeah, stuff. actual musicians are gonna be there. Holy fuck, Gary! Are you? Can you afford that? Yeah. Will it not sound too full? Yeah, will it not be real? Not too real, like. <laughs> too, too real for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, that's Bross. I was obsessed with Bross. Um, they were one of the bands I would have been down Spaghetti Legs too as well. Um, okay. Matt and Luke, varying degrees of success. Um, apparently, they, they, they were talking about, one of them was just lying. I think Matt was going on about a reunion tour for years. For years. And Luke was like, no, not doing, no, I'm in Hollywood making movies, no, not doing it, mm. absolutely not, no, 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 no. And uh, eventually he caved and the two of them then came out and said, like, yeah, we might do a tour, but we want to re-record the first album. I don't know how that's going to happen, because there's no fucking way in hell they own the rights to that music. Just no way in hell they no, own the rights to that music. The same, you can get, you can, they'll be covering their own music. <laughs> exactly, they'd have to license their own songs, and um, they would get royalties for both their current <laughs> album so, yeah. and win, their previous win. one so it's probably a win-win Mostly, yeah. uh, who is your last one then my last one is a song that got me into the metal music to metal yeah because if I'm being honest I didn't listen to Metallica before one yeah I didn't as a kid I, I, I don't care like I think I would have been what age was I I was eight when mm. this came out and I wasn't listening to I wasn't listening to fucking like Kill Em All when it came out no I just wasn't mm. It wasn't in my wheelhouse. It wasn't in my fucking ballpark or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't lying around the gaff. None of my mates were listening to Metallica. Like, literally none. Until I met one. But it would have been the Black Album he was uh, listening to. And yes. by then, I was already, they were already well on my radar. And I was actually looking forward to the Black Album. Mm. But I remember this video for one, 1989, came on to telly. And it's such a great video. Yeah. Like, if you think about it. It's very it has long. All that but so is the song. Yeah, it's got all the stuff that war and all. It had everything for me at that age. Now, maybe eight, eight, nine, I'd say, maybe. And then... Nine, what age was I this came out? Yeah, yeah, it was about then. And I was just thinking, this is savage, and they're standing in a triangle. Yeah. And they're, they're and all the, and they're saying, darkness imprisoning me. It's my dark, it's my yeah. weird and all. Because I knew... I. I'd obviously heard of Metallica before this. Yeah, you saw never... the t-shirts. The, the big kids were wearing Metallica t-shirts. Yeah, I was never mad into them at all, but something, that, that's obviously the song that I remember distinctly the most being played on MTV and going, that's that's a whopper song. It like is an a big song. Banger. Yeah, I remember the, so vi- maybe the, the video. Like, didn't, they, um, didn't they buy the rights to the movie for the video or something? 
They would have had to. I think the, the, the movie is called Johnny Johnny Get Your Gun or Johnny Got His Gun and they couldn't license Johnny got, part. Johnny Got His Gun, yeah. Yeah, and I think they just gun. bought the rights to the entire movie. Like, they bought the full movie and yeah. chopped it up to make this music video. Um, let's play it because it's a killer. Yes. It's an absolute... It's like, darkness! <laughs> um, yeah, this, listen, this is a se- seven and a half minute long song. I remember uh, walking around the calf as a kid. Darkness! Imprisoning me! <laughs> I think what we'll do, Helmet, is we'll... Uh, jump 30 seconds in before we play sure um, just so we get into the the, the meat of it because otherwise you have to listen to and guns shooting for a while oh skip skip like a minute in you want to go a minute in you want that afternoon yeah, horror thing there right let's hit it around there and let, let's let's see where uh, this magical mystery tour oh they're still at it all the darkness is imprisoning me Lovely Paul, what are you listening to? Is it like gypsy music? Can't tell if this is true Is this the new Frank Sinatra? <laughs> this terrible silence stops in there. Now that the war is through with me, I'm waking up, I can now see that there's not much left of me. Nothing is real but pain now. Hold my breath is out. I'm just going to let it play till they get to the darkness bit, all right? Darkness, imprisoning me. All that I see. It's not like Bob Dylan there. Darkness. He's, you listen to the drums, he's getting ready to do the bit. There you go. 
Larry Freebird. <laughs> Unreal. Pencils on the fucking table and school. Yeah! As much as I'd love to just let that play, Real. it's outrageous, outrageous. Yeah, that realistically, that's probably my introduction to Metallic as well. Like again, yeah, like, it's seeing people, impre- but. impressive enough before the Black Album because the Black Album was the one where they exploded completely. Yeah. Like, they, obviously they were huge. That was the but, album that, like, if you put on the car with your parents, they didn't give out the Black Album. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, before that, yeah. they'd have none of it. Yeah, if you played all of Injustice for all of it, no. Now I didn't get this album until I say it was six months after because I was like what oh, remember that song you used to be on MTV all the time it was still actually on MTV all the time to be honest with you probably played it for 10 years straight but I just remember <coughs> thinking it was sort of quiet enough because I was an indie kid and I listened to like weird oh, yeah. old shit well and I wasn't just going right metal yeah I had to be softened into it, had to be, it had yeah. to be softened into me the thing about this album had to be loosened. Oh, definitely. Think about this album. Was, this was the this was like the the fucking the redheaded stepson of the Metallica um, uh, discography. And Justice for All was incredibly hard to find when I was a kid. Like you could find Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning. Uh, Kill 'Em All was difficult to find as well. But Ride the Lightning, uh, Master Puppets, and the Black Album, you could find in any shop. But uh, Justice for All was 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 because uh, I, I don't think it was very well received when it came out. It took years for people to kind of cop on to how good that album is because it's very proggy, you know. It's 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 the least metallic yeah, sounding it's, album. It's of those four few. Um, it's, it's my favorite like, one. It's definitely mature. my favorite. It could be my favorite as well. It's the it, most it, mature. It, yeah, and for, like they're, they're, they're real comfortable. On yes, one hundred percent. Like it sounds weird, and there's no bass and blah blah blah. People give out yeah. about that, but when you listen to it, like it's been remixed a hundred times now, and there's versions of it out there with the bass turned up. People even re-recorded the bass. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. It'd be like if you listen to to. It would have had to be there initially, or not at all. Exactly, so we got the not at all, unfortunately. Exactly. But like if you listen to Pantera Vulgar Display of Power, like I think the kick drum sound in 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 uh, Vulgar Display of Power is the worst kick drum sound of all time. And it's real like it's pop, just ticky tacky it's crap pop, 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 yeah pop, it's yeah. shy but I've heard versions of it where they put a bit of thump behind that and it doesn't sound right so like it is what it, it is involve, it would involve remixing every other aspect of the music properly. exactly like that it, um, these instruments have their sonic space in the mix and yeah. once you mess with that you take something away from something else so it, it can't be done the whole thing has to be remixed from the ground up and that's incredibly difficult to do so yeah, it's my favourite album, but one one was the song. Like, you heard one everywhere, but you never heard anything else off uh, Justice for All. It did, no. There was nothing. It was gone. And then all of a sudden, the Black no. Album was out. And this, it was was being played on, this was being played on stuff outside of MTV and all. Yeah. Like, this was being played on, I don't know, like, I won't say Zig and Zag, but like... If, that I style of maybe Channel maybe 4's version of Zig and Zag, like... Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a big deal. Because they bought them. That's cool. Yeah, they did. They and then they got them back. 
<laughs> well, look, that's my that's my last one actually. Yeah. One. It's, it is. I I know I can pinpoint that song as a bit where I went. Oh, I like metal now because I loved the the soft. I was like, oh, I thought Metallica were all like rah rah rah. But uh, then when they did that bit, the riff, I went, oh shit. Yeah, it's just outrageous. That's like a, the battery riff in the middle of a so song. So who's your, uh, who's your last one? My last one, we've already talked about when we talked about him a thousand times before, but I have to mention him because he was very important and it's Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Ah, MC Hammer, you can't touch us. Yeah, exactly, like that one. one, yeah, with the baggy pants. Um, so this is more baggy That's pants. That's where I'm making a mistake. That's where I'm making a mistake. I yeah, read both this of them had it. on the list yeah. and I instantly just... Just took my eye off the screen. I didn't read what we were actually on, and in my head, thought, "Yeah, yeah." I've made a show of myself, Gar. It's okay. It's grand. I've had both, a, senior, a senior moment. Both of them are, are, are atrocious, so it's perfectly fine. Um, this is actually not a great song. I do love "You Can't Touch This." Um, yeah, "You Can't Touch This" is fine for what it is. Uh, Ice Ice Baby is is not good. Um, the, we I, we've talked about Vanilla Ice, I think, a hundred times before. I his story is incredibly interesting. Like. It's it's so, it's it's mental. Like it's mental. I I I not no no messing. I need to check if there's a vanilla ice, like autobiography. Just because I would read it. It is be that mad. crazy. Be mad if there wasn't one called Cold as Ice be. or something. Well, I I know there was um there was a fake one made. So. Okay, so his name is Robert Van Winkle. Okay, his real name. He's born in 1967. Sure, that. that's definitely a rap name. Exactly. So his first album was put out by um, a record label called I think called Ichiban Ichiban Records, right? In uh, the late 80s, and it does kind of all right, and he ends up touring with like Public Enemy and doing all this kind of stuff, and it was a bit more like straight ahead hip hop. Like of the era, that kind of late eighties hip hop is what it was, and he gets the album gets bought by a record label called SBK Records, and they take his initial the, the album that he'd released with Ichiban Records, and they just repackaged it, right? And they made him wear all the baggy pants because that was MC Hammer's gig, and it was it was cool looking, and they made him real cookie cutter and clean and all this kind of shit. And uh, well, he was a bit more grimy before. He was a little bit more, not street, but maybe a little had a b- little bit more of a hard edge to him. So they kind of softened all the edges and, and packaged them up into this lovely kind of pop um, package and release into the public and renamed the album to the extreme because that was what they were going to do. And I was like, oh, it's extreme vanilla oysters, <laughs> you know, all this kind of bullshit. And um, they, they obviously went gangbusters you know uh, Ice Ice Baby done a bajillion dollars worth of sales um, I think it sold 11 million copies like it's just outrageous amount amount of music um, amount of money made off, off off that album so once he released that album he's like oh, I don't really want to do this anymore it's not really my bag and he was always into like motocross and stuff like that and apparently before he was a rapper like he was a famous motocross rider but he wanted to get into jet skis so he kind of took a year or two off and he went off and became one of the top 10 jet ski riders in the world got bored of, got bored of uh, rap went on to motocross got bored of motocross did jet skiing yeah pretty much um, as you do as, as you do. do because he he wasn't happy with the way the label were presenting him because that wasn't what he wanted to do. He didn't want to do the MC Hammer style stuff. He wanted to do more public enemy style stuff. So um, he just he wasn't into it. He was like, I don't like this pop rap thing. Like, that's not what I'm into. Um, so he went up and became one of the top 10 jet ski riders in the world. Uh, it's around about this time in the kind of... So this song came, comes out in 1990. I think 1993 or four. Um, 
he at this stage he's like doing random tours of like Eastern Europe and all because he doesn't want to release a new album. He's now he's not into it, um, but he's still making money off Ice of his baby. Um, I know that is. Yeah. That's what, he can pretend that he went off the scene while he's still making a killing. Oh yeah, yeah. And exactly. so he's, he's embarrassed by it. To be fair, he's embarrassed by this music. One hundred percent is embarrassed by it. Like one hundred percent, he says it to this day. He's like, I don't hate that music. Uh, he says I, he said it himself because he made that album when he was like trying to make hip hop of that era. And he said, but when people yeah. think of me, they think of me like with the fucking the bleach blonde faded hair and the the scrape of my eyebrow and the baggy pants and shiny sequins dancing around the stage. He said, that I didn't even know how to dance. Like I don't know anything about. It was break dancing, but I wasn't doing any yeah. of this pop dance stuff. I am. Um, so he said, like I like the music end of it, but I don't. I hate what people think of when they think of me as Vanilla Ice. So apparently it's around about this time that Shug Knight and a mate of his who was like a linebacker for the NFL um, start harassing Vanilla Ice. And I start like ha- literally haunting him. Every time he goes to dinner, they're sitting there looking at him. They're ringing his house at night trying to get a meeting with him. And he's like, no, 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 no. Because he heard this guy's bad news. This guy's bad news. And apparently one day he breaks into his hotel, beats the shit out of him and hangs him out of the window and says, if you don't sign off the publishing rights to the song Ice Ice Baby, I'm going to kill you. I might not kill you now, but I'll kill you someday. So he does it. He has the contract and all ready to go, Shug. Signs it off. So the money from Ice Ice Baby is what starts... Death Row Records. That's where Death Row Records comes from. Is off the back of Vanilla Ice, and uh, as we talked about earlier, MC Hammer gets signed to uh, to Death Row Records a couple of years later as well, which is absolutely batshit, man. He he just had it in his head. I want those. I want those, and that's it. That's it. And I'm getting it. I'm gonna gonna kill people for it. It's not. It's no problem. So apparently, Vanilla Ice hate hated doing interviews, um, and he hated. He was very private, and apparently, what would happen is that. Um, like paparazzi would corner him in an airport and stuff like this, and they'd ask him, oh, "What did your, uh, you know, what did your ma think of what you're doing now? And know what was your ma's job growing up? And you know, where did you grow up? And all that kind of stuff." And he'd always say, "You know, stick her up your hole, fuck off, get away with me." That was his yeah. whole thing. He wouldn't give any sort of information. So because of that, the press got even hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for information yeah, about Vanilla Ice. Just, he's hiding something. Get exactly. Him. So what happened was his original record label, Ichiban Records, put together a fake autobiography. Right, an entire book of just lawyers that would answer questions. Um, oh, so when you said fake, you didn't mean like an unofficial one? No, I mean like a real one that he he himself actually wrote because his original record label literally, like without telling him, <laughs> without telling them, yeah, wrote like an unofficial biography of fucking Vanilla Ice, and it was, was it all real? wrong. Was it- <laughs> it was all wrong like had the wrong school like when he left school what his mass job like, everything was just lawyers they fabricated everything and it wasn't done in, a, in an attempt to like take the pressure off him it was done in, a, in an attempt to cash in on all these questions that people wanted yeah. answered you know what I mean um, batshit mad stuff uh, his I've talked about this before and it annoys me that it's not on Spotify it's one of my big um, big orcs that it's not on Spotify his third album is called Hard to Swallow and it's a new metal album from That's 1998 right, yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm not joking right? it's not good but it's not terrible it's Ross mental. Robinson produced it Ross Robinson apparently approached Vanilla Ice and said like listen I really want to do an album with you because he had had he started this kind of grungy rap rock band I think they were called it Pick and Scab some garbage he had dreadlocks and nonsense and he had a lot of tattoos and apparently he had a lot of tattoos because he got into heroin and he was hanging out with um a lot of tattoo artists and what had happened is he'd do a lot of heroin or whatever smoke a lot of bleeding crack and like dope out for a couple of hours and wake up and all his pals had been tattooing on him 
So he's like, I, I only wanted a couple of tattoos, but after a couple oh. of years of drugs, my entire body's covered. And he goes, whatever, I don't care anymore. Like, this doesn't bother me. So he literally, they were tattooing him while he was passed out, you know. Uh, so, yeah, hard to swallow. I, 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 hope, I, am, I implore people. Full, I hope they gave him the full Death Row uh, Records back That'd piece. That'd be unreal. <laughs> That'd be unreal. With his face on your man. <laughs> on the, on the oh, that'd be unreal. Unre- oh, be savage. Um, so I always implore people to go go and try and find Hard to Swallow on YouTube. I think yeah. it's not called Prozac on it. It's mental. It sounds like the corn. Version of, the version of Ice Ice Baby is really good. Yeah, he I does like a, a metal version of it. And then he, he's re-recorded. Um, he re-recorded loads of his original uh, stuff off um, To The Extreme as well a couple of years ago. And to be honest, it doesn't really sound that much different. I'm not going to lie to you. It was yeah. kind of a pointless re-recording. It was just trying to make a few quid off kind of hip-hop, old-school hip-hop kind of cheese heads. He wanted to see if he'd done anything with them, but he didn't. It's the same. Bim, 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 bada, bim. Let's play uh, a little tiny bit of it, just for shits and giggles, as if anybody doesn't <laughs> hasn't heard this song before. Can't touch this. Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. Collaborate and listen. I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance. Caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. When I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it. You better gain weight. You better hit bulls out of kid. Don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll Again, that's enough for that. Uh, that synth that comes in that. No, that like that that like fucking string pad in the yeah. back is so good. It's perfectly fine garbage songs. Again, it's 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 dirt like, but it's just so big. Um, that would have been one of the first uh, tape singles I bought. I even remember what it looked like. Um, I was trying to find another one. There's a da- there was like a, a house song out at the same time that had samples from <clears throat> had samples from like Terminator Two and the first Terminator movie. I think it was called Uzi Nine Millimeter. It was by an English group, and I was trying to oh, find. Oh, I that. remember that. Yeah, Uzi Nine Millimeter. I was trying to find that on Spotify, and I could not find it because I had that on tape, and I was obsessed. That obsessed with that song as well and there was another one that had Robocop samples in it that had nothing to do with kind of films I was into I was all over I was all over it you know I had samples from a movie I was like couldn't believe yeah. that I'm listening to this from the film on a tape oh my god like they're oh, crossing the, the streams oh it's all my favourite things yeah so uh, anyway that's it that is uh, Childhood Songs 2 uh, well, we will again we'll do it with Volume 3 next year at some stage but that's a lot of dirt and good that we listened to when we were yeah, kids. It's just important. So we didn't do loads of research for this one. This is like nah. this is part of our well childhood, for want of a better word. Exactly. Uh, I'm not researching my childhood. I'll relapse. Yeah, exactly. I ain't <laughs> I that. Ruin, ruin things for <laughs> exactly. myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was bad enough the first time around. 
Um, so that's it for us. Listen, if you like what we do, you got the patreon.com forward slash lost our podcast. Uh, that's a subscription based program where it costs you five euros a month. You get access to loads and loads and loads of exclusive podcasts and videos and all that type of bullshit. Also, you, you've just listened to a podcast for free. I know that they're all free, but uh, it would really help if you could uh, help us pay our, our internet bills. Yes, exactly. And you don't have to stay. There's no uh, minimum subscription. So you can jump on for a month, get all of it and jump off if you want. Uh, yeah. We have a link for tipping us as well if you just want to throw us a few quid and help us out. Uh, that's up on lostartpodcast.com. You can tip us there. We just joined TikTok as well. Jesus Christ. Uh, oh. We'll figure that out. <laughs> we'll figure that out as we go. Sure, look, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. All exactly. Um, put it this way. Put a video on TikTok last night and uh, it's done. It's now done, what, six times better than the last video we put on YouTube. And the video we put on YouTube took months to put together and took 15 seconds to make the TikTok video. So that's obviously where the video people are right now. Uh, and we'll ride that storm until that's dead. We'll, 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 we'll run that horse to fucking death. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it, look, <clears throat> even if it's just random viewers, I know that the people that viewed our one, I just reload. I looked, I looked at my video now that they put on TikTok, 94 views. Yeah, it's, it's, it climbs. It goes up and it doesn't go down. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, we'll, we'll see. They, they can't unview it. <laughs> exactly. You know, listen, we'll see. We'll, we'll see and we have some sort of use. It's also, there seems to be a lot of uh, old heads like us seem to be kind of taken over a section of TikTok as well. It's not just kids dancing in their living rooms anymore. Uh, that's still there. Uh, but there seems to be people talking yeah. about music an awful lot, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, that is us for this week. We will be back again uh, on... When are we back? When are we back? Monday with a fresh podcast, a Saturday radio show, and we'll have our interview with Esoteric from Zarface. Uh, that might even be up by the time you hear this. So, talk to you next week. See you later. See you.